rural hospitals face unprecedented challenges in today's environment with supply chain increases, workforce recruitment and retention, financial woes, and more. And as staff burn out, leaders do too. So how do rural healthcare leaders gain the education, support, and fortitude to shepherd their organizations for years to come? With determination, education, and the support of their peers. I'm Rachel Lott. And I'm J.J. Hodgeyer. And this is Rural Health Rising. Welcome to Episode 92 of Rural Health Rising. I'm J.J. Hodgeyer, President and Chief Executive Officer of Hillsdale Hospital. And I'm Rachel Lott, Chief Communications Officer. So, Rachel, wow, we know how challenging uh, the job is here in rural health as rural health leaders. Yes, we do. Uh, obviously, uh, living that life each mm-hmm. and every day. Uh, and it's tough. Uh, we know that there are long hours. Uh, it's a lot of hard work. Um, many hats that we wear, mm-hmm. you know, um, in, in many cases, six or seven titles to our name, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, now that it's consolidated, and now it's under to take one. a breath in you the do. middle, which yeah. is great. So yeah. I appreciate that. You're more than welcome. Uh, in a very different environment uh, than healthcare in urban or suburban communities. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's oftentimes lonely in rural healthcare, mm-hmm. and uh, the challenge has never been as real as it is today uh, to push through in order to lead these hospitals, and especially in light of all of the changes uh, in our environment. But, you know, a lot of rural hospital leaders and uh, in particular rural struggle uh, to push through and uh, they burn out quickly. Uh, we see that whether it's in the C-suite, uh, mm-hmm. whether it's a CEO level, it doesn't matter what level it is, uh, typically at management and up, you know, you're working long hours, you're covering shifts. And, you know, when we think about our clinical managers, Rachel, mm-hmm. we think about, you know, not only are they responsible for the day-to-day operation of their respective units, uh, but also they're covering shifts when their nurse calls in. Right, right. Uh, that's rural they're health. The floor. There's no pool. There's no opportunity to have a roving pool. And so uh, it is a tremendous amount of responsibility and programs that help to build up these leaders and give them support uh, are much needed, and uh, they are critical to our rural healthcare framework. That's right. And today we are talking with someone who leads the Center for Rural Health Leadership's programs to do just that. That's right. Our guest today is Sydney Grant, Director of Programming for Rural Hospital Certification Programs at the Center for Rural Health Leadership. And uh, we welcome you uh, to Rural Health Rising today, Sydney. Thank you so much, JJ and Rachel. I'm thrilled to be here. So to start, Sydney, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, and your work at the Center for Rural Health Leadership? Yes, I would be glad to. Thank you so much. Well, um, I'm not the usual uh, person you would imagine getting into rural, so I like to call myself a rural transplant. So um, I am a Florida girl. (laughs) I am actually Tampa-based, so not exactly the image of rural one thinks of, but... um, I am a Florida girl through and through, so I went to Florida State University um, for undergraduate, and I got my master's in healthcare administration at the University of South Florida in 2020. Um, Mm -hmm. And so during my time getting my master's, uh, that's when I got to step into rural and uh, start working uh, in this space, um, which was unknown to me. Um, I I hadn't, to begin with, healthcare administration was unknown to me. And, you know, once I stepped into that world, so much opened up, but then um, I realized there was rural healthcare. Uh, you know, this was something we didn't hardly talk about in grad school until the opportunity uh, yeah. was presented to me to uh, work as an intern for uh, Dr. Bill Oxier's Rural Health Leadership Radio podcast. And so um, that's how I, I got my foot in the door into rural healthcare. I saw that opportunity and um, it was different than all the rest of the opportunities. And um, I, I kind of love to go down that uh, unmarked path 
And um, that's uh, how I got started. And I like to say I, I kind of hitched myself to Bill and he hasn't been able to get rid of me yet. And so um, <laughs> we created the uh, Center for Rural Health Leadership, which does put on the rural hospital certification programs with uh, the National Rural Health Association or NRHA as um, probably a lot of people have heard them called. So uh, in addition to that, I also co-host that podcast now with Bill. So um, I get to be on the oh, microphone side of that. things with Rural oh. Health Leadership Radio, which is really fun. Nice. Um, and then uh, in addition to that, I'm also a board member and the communications director for my local uh, American College of Healthcare Executives uh, board here too. So uh, trying to bring the rural perspective everywhere I can go. So that's just a little bit about me and how I found myself kind of going down this path and working on the certification programs. Well, that is awesome. Uh, we love rural, don't we? I mean, yes. it's it's quite rewarding. We're going to talk about that today, uh, your experiences in working with uh, rural hospital executives and uh, the critical uh, importance of making sure that they're surrounded uh, with education, training, and support systems. But, you know, now that we've established who you are and what you do, let's start with the why. And we do this on all of our episodes so we get to know and our listeners, our guests, just a little bit better. So, what is your why? What motivates you and what gets you up out of bed in the morning? Uh, I love this question because I feel like it's easy for me to answer now that I am in rural healthcare. Um, yeah. So part of my journey was that I really didn't know what my passion was or what my journey was supposed to be. Like probably a lot of uh, people starting their careers, uh, it's hard to know what step you want to take. Yeah. And so um, like I mentioned, when I was in grad school, I, I had the the uh, opportunity to work on that podcast. And um, like I said, when that opportunity came up, we um, we got to do this little almost like career fair, but for internships. So we had to have an internship. It was part of the degree. Um, and so we you know, had our professors were nice enough to pull together some opportunities and um, lots of great opportunities for sure. But a lot of them were kind of the same, you know, working on the payer side or um, interning at some, you know, type of small practice or something like that, which mm -hmm. um, there's huge value in that. Don't get the wrong message. But um, Bill's opportunity to came up to do this podcast about rural health leadership. And as soon as I saw that, I just knew it was the right thing for me to do. It was different. Uh, it was unlike any other opportunity that I had seen at all throughout graduate school, let alone during this really specific time to look for an internship. And so um, if there is a, a path to pave, I will go down it. So um, that was really exciting for me. And, and like I said, rural was really unspoken. You know, rural healthcare was not a, a part of our curriculum per se and in my master's mm -hmm. program. And um uh, we even had a, a an opportunity to talk about it and asked a professor, uh, what do you teach the students about critical access hospitals? And the response was, what's a critical access hospital? So, Yikes. oh, dear yes, Lord, and with Yikes. that statement, oh, my goodness. I knew that Ooh, there was yikes. work to be done. And um, I, I love a yes, challenge. Yes. I absolutely love a challenge and an opportunity to innovate and collaborate and um, do this creative problem solving, but on such a bigger, more impactful scale um, than a lot of people get to do. And um, that's um, part of what motivates me every day is that there are people out there that are, like you said, wearing five, six, seven, eight, nine different hats. And the least I can do mm -hmm. is try to emulate them and wear maybe a quarter of those hats, but try to to leave my mark and, and help along the way. So um, just knowing mm -hmm. that there was an opportunity that's so different from what, what uh, a normal MHA candidate might go for, 
Um, that's speaking my language. If it's different and it's not what people might usually do and there's challenge involved, I am, I am all in. Um, so getting to work with, with these amazing rural health leaders that do so much more with so much less, uh, I mean, what -hmm. could possibly motivate you more than that? So, um, it's, it's easy for me to want to get out of bed each morning, knowing that, uh, I get to help these people, you know, help their communities. Uh, that's essentially what it translates to. So um, that's that's a pretty easy motivation, in my opinion. Absolutely. Well, it's a great why, and you're doing some remarkable work. And I want to talk a little bit more about that work that you do. So, you know, for our listeners, you know, Rachel and I have had a chance to to do a little background uh, to learn more about uh, the, the type of work that you do. But for our listeners, why don't you tell us about the Center for Rural Health Leadership? What is it? Why was it created? Uh, maybe talk about some of the tenets of it. Sure, absolutely. So uh, the Center for Rural Health Leadership is the entity that uh, Dr. Bill Oxier and I uh, work in to put on the certification program. So we partner with NRHA to put on um, our rural hospital certification program. So we work with a few other NRHA service corps uh, executives to uh, bring all the brain power together to get this done, because as I'm sure you all know it takes a village uh, to get anything done. So um, I work with some really amazing yeah. people to, to coordinate all these efforts. And uh, Dr. Bill Oxier and I uh, put these programs on. So uh, we've created curriculums and uh, gathered all of the, like I said, the brain power to get these programs off the ground because we certainly couldn't do it ourselves, just the two of us. Um, We needed expertise and knowledge from the people that have lived it uh, to make this happen. So the Center for Rural Health Leadership, um, between me and Bill, we put on these certification programs in partnership uh, with NRHA and um, we uh, just knew that there was like like we're going to talk about some more. There was a need for programs like these um, to help our rural hospital executives shore up their you know knowledge base and skills and all of those necessary things to be in rural health healthcare you know successfully. Um, so that was what inspired um, the creation of mm-hmm. CRHL. And interestingly enough, uh, when I was an intern on the podcast, uh, part of our you know degree work was to solve a problem with this, you know, organization that you're interning for. And so part of what we wanted to address was the high rates of CEO turnover in rural hospitals. And so this is about 2018, 2019. So uh, not yesterday, as much as I may feel like it is. Um, Mm. (laughs) And uh, we had to come up with some solutions about, you know, what does a solution look like for this huge problem? And the certification programs um, while they may not have been called the certification programs at the time, that was one of our big solutions that we thought this would be really effective. If we were able to implement something like this, like these programs, that would really change the game for this CEO turnover rate, which has gotten so high, um, particularly in rural hospitals. And then we know that that rate is going to have a much more impactful um, impact for lack of a better word, um, on that community. So, um, it's funny to look back and think that we'd hypothesized this many years ago, and then, um, were able to make it a reality through the center for rural health leadership mm-hmm. with NRHA. So, um, bit of an interesting story there, but, um, between me and Bill and our, our partners with the, uh, NRHA service Corps and NRHA as a whole, um, we've been putting on these certification programs since February 2020, right before COVID hit, which we also thought, what a time to start. But um, it's it's uh, <laughs> truly taken off, and we're 
um, excited to be a part of it. So that's just a little bit about the Center for Rural Health Leadership and how we kind of came to be. And for our, our listeners who have been with us for a while, you may remember we did have an episode with Dr. Bill Oxier. Yes, he was on the podcast, probably within our first 20 episodes, I, I think. Yeah. I mean, he was pretty yeah. early on. Um, it's weird to say 20 episodes and early on. Yeah, yeah, it's hard to it's hard to really conceptualize how yeah. long it's been since we started this. We were just talking about that earlier. Um, but I just wanted to give that shout out. But um, you, you know, you've been talking about these programs. You have several different programs um, that you guys run at the Center for Rural Health Leadership. So can you talk to us about what each of those are and how do they work? What's the real structure and process and engagement? for the people who are participating? Yes, I would love to answer. This is what I do every day. So I'm more than happy to talk about this. So yes, we have three main certification programs. So we have our CEO certification program, our CNO for chief nursing officers, and our CFO for chief financial officers and financial leaders. Um, Those are our three main programs. We're planning to launch um, four additional programs this year. So um, an HR a CMO or physician leader program, a board of trustees program, and a rural health nursing certification program to lay it all out there. My (laughs) goodness. Yes. My goodness. So um, our three main programs, though, CEO, CNO, and CFO programs, uh, like I mentioned, we launched our very first CEO cohort in February 2020, which feels like it was yesterday, uh, truly. So um, we actually got to kind of celebrate that anniversary at the Policy Institute this past week, which was great uh, through NRHA. So um, with our programs, it's a, a mix of self-guided and uh, group learning structure. We we realize the value in um, both of those. And part of our, our big goal with our programs is that, like we've said a few times, rural health leaders are wearing multiple hats. They have more tasks than time in the day, for sure. So the last thing that we want to do is overhaul your schedule with all this extra work and things that are going to, you know, slam your your agenda. So we tried to create this program that's pragmatic and efficient and effective. So, you know, part of that equation is you've got your self-guided piece, you have your group learning. Once we've had these, you know, combination of that, you should be able to go out and implement that, you know, topic the next day if you wanted to. So we want to be pragmatic and efficient because we know that not everyone might have the time for an intensive experience um, with education. So that's part of our MO um, is being really pragmatic for these rural hospital leaders because we know there's a lot to get done. Um, We want to make that easier for them. And so um, part of what we do, we have uh, subject matter experts that are all rural hospital specific and specific to each of these um, program positions. So they'll be CEO specific content, CNO specific content, and CFO specific content, all as it relates to the rural hospital landscape. So very, very, very specific um, information that we're trying to provide for these leaders, because we know that there's tons of great learning opportunities out there and um, degrees you can get, programs you can participate in, but none of them, to our knowledge, are rural hospital and position specific. And so we heard we heard the need, we heard the demand. And um, once we had success with our CEO cohort, um, we, we were told we need to do this for CNOs and we need to do this for CFOs. Um, so that's what spurred us to kind of branch out just from the CEOs. Um, but our structure, um, like I mentioned, a little bit of self-guided. So participants get materials um, on the topic for that week. 
um, whether it's videos and PowerPoints, PDFs, Word docs, you name it. Um, we have our participants uh, prepare to talk about those uh, topics, and then we all come together for a Zoom call so that we can actually do some networking, and um, it's really quite valuable time that gets spent on those Zoom calls. Um, so that's our, our mix of that self-guided and group learning structure that gets to uh, weave together some really, really fascinating and diverse perspectives. Um, our participants range from sea to shining sea, truly, um, and it's, it's quite a treasure trove of knowledge that we get that's uh, passed along through there. So lots of networking, lots of best practice sharing and connecting with um, subject matter experts that are position and rural hospital specific. So um, like I mentioned, we want to be really, really specific for our leaders because I know that's what they're looking for in the most pragmatic way possible. So um, that's kind of how we carry out the day-to-day, week-to-week of our programs. Mm-hmm. What's the process to become a part of one of these programs for someone who is a CEO, a CFO, a CNO, or a future one of those things, that that's the direction they're headed in their career? Um, How do they participate? Is it an an application process? How does that situation work? Yeah, great question. It is. um, So it's a pretty simple application process on our um, website, which I know will be um, linked in this episode. Uh, We've got our Mm -hmm. our tabs for each of our programs where you can find more information. So there's more information online if you want to uh, peruse and review what's available. Um, but it's a very simple application process. It's free, uh, super short and no commitment. So you're not bound to anything by applying. Um, you just submit your short application and then we follow up with you with uh, a flyer, some more details, um, and information on next steps where, um, we have all of our, uh, serious participants, uh, schedule an interview, just a short phone call interview. So we can straighten out all the details and answer all of the questions, all of that good stuff. Um, so that's our, our basic application pro- process if um, anybody is interested in enrolling. And um, we are uh, enrolling for our upcoming cohorts that we're launching in March and um, are launching some cohorts later in the year as well around the fall. You know, we've already had a, a small uh, discussion about how extremely busy, uh, you know, executives are and a tremendous amount of work that is being done, especially in light of uh, lost revenues, declining volumes. Uh, and truly the need and demand for CEOs uh, specifically uh, to be all in, uh, fully engaged, you know, keeping your board uh, apprised of what's going on, having dialogue with your community uh, and making sure that your rural hospital doesn't close. So you're not added to that list of 140 since 2010 that's closed. It's a lot of responsibility. So but the question that I want to pose to you is knowing all of that, you know, with time being most precious you know, CFOs say cash is king. I say time is king uh, because <laughs> if truly, time is money and cash is king. Then there I think you go. That is See, legally yeah. and that's legally correct. that is correct. Uh, because truly, I mean, we are just in eighteen different areas, and you know, a one, minute, uh, a minute, yeah. And <laughs> and so, you know, I, I guess my question is, what the 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 programs that you have developed? Let's just talk about the CEO certification. Um, you know created, I would assume, for maximum benefit uh, for the members. Can you talk a little bit about the commitment that is required, let's just say on a weekly basis, and then, you know, how do you as an organization say that is a focus area, that is something we need to talk about, that is something that's going to take an hour of their time that they're going to have value added back on the other end? Because as a CEO, I'm listening and going, I'd love to do this, but you got to tell me what's my value added? Can can you help us understand that as CEOs are listening to this and CNOs and CFOs throughout the country? 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, so for one, when we created these programs, like I mentioned before, this wasn't something that Bill and I, while we did say, yes, this is a great idea, we need to do this, um, we did not come up with these curriculums, this content on our own. Uh, we truly sought out the people who have lived the experience. So for example, for our CEO certification program, uh, we got together a group of tenured, successful rural hospital CEOs. Majority of these CEOs had 20 plus years experience and tenure in their rural hospital CEO position um, and considered very successful uh, in their careers and got them all together. Uh, granted, this was pre-COVID times, even during COVID times, there's nothing like a good Zoom call, but got them all together um, and asked what I like to say is, probably our favorite question ever, um, in which we ask this question for our CNOs, our CFOs, and so on and so forth. Um, we ask them, what do you know now that you wish you'd known then? One mm. of our favorite questions ever. And I'm sure as you might imagine, um, pages and pages and pages and pages of notes later from you know all the input we got from that question, that's truly what helped shape our curriculum. So for nice. one, when Very we nice. you know wanted to create a program that was specifically for rural hospital CEOs. We got the rural hospital CEOs and said, what do these people need to know? You know, those people that are new in this position, continuous learners aspiring towards that uh, goal, whatever, you know, spot you might be in. Uh, we asked these rural hospital executives, what do you know now that you wish you would have known then when you first, you know, stepped into this role or first started seeking out, you know, more information. Um, and so mm -hmm. that, that valuable knowledge that we got is what we shaped into our curriculum for each of our programs. Uh, we go back and forth with ours. We like, we like to call them our advisory board. Uh, we go back and forth with them many times to refine and, um, you know, make sure that curriculum is exactly right for this program. Um, so we use building blocks and modules in our uh, program to make things again efficient and pragmatic. So, um, like you were saying, time commitment. We never ask for more than an hour and a half of time per week uh, across our programs for those that are um, participating, because we do understand sometimes that's all you may have is is an extra ninety minutes in in your schedule. Um, and so, part of uh, making things easy for people is just that you know making sure the time commitment is reasonable and feasible for everyone because yeah. they have so many things going on. Um, but I think in addition to that, we create this nationwide network for these leaders. They can have access to, you know, any any time of the day. Granted, some people are in different time zones. So, you know, it, that is what it is. But, um, you know, we create this structure for them, whether it's via email, a phone call or through, um, you know, the platforms that we use. They can reach out to each other anytime they want. So if Joe from Oregon is suddenly hit with the need for an example policy or maybe has to close down OB and, and wants to know who's done this. Uh, you know, what were some of the common obstacles that you ran into? Maybe it can be avoided, you know, anything like that. We've created this network for them so that even if it's something outside of those hot topics that we made sure we wanted to cover when we talked to our, our experienced successful executives, we can still reach out to each other any time of the day um, and we can create this network of best practice sharing. And next thing you know, there's three different policies flying between people and all these different resources that are being connected. So um, even outside of that, you know, potential 90 minutes of, of your time per week that might be needed, um, you have the flexibility to, to contact and reach out to not only your colleagues in the cohort, but those subject matter experts that teach 
the modules in our program. They are committed to um, reaching out. And if you want to reach out to them, they're available now or five years from now, whatever the case may be. Um, that's part of the deal with them is that they offer, you know, their contact information to you as well. So um, I think part of the flexibility and the return is that you have this network now and forever. As I like to say, when our participants are graduating, we're really just getting started on um, our journey together. And, and that's been true ever since February 2020, when we launched our very first CEO cohort um, and, and have been in touch with that group ever since. Um, so I think that network that we that network structure we create because truly they, our participants carry it on their own so well, so easily because it's that desire to be in touch, to not feel alone, right? To know for one, I'm not the only person that's dealing with this problem, which is great. But two, you come to find there's lots of different perspectives, you know, on how to approach this. You may have never even considered Joe in Oregon's perspective because you've only known what gets, you know, passed around to you in Kansas or, you know, any number of, of issues like that. So I think that too is part of the return is that you have this network that you can bounce questions and ideas off of, not just while you're enrolled, but, you know, forever into the future. Um, so it's, it's almost, as I like to say, limitless return there with that network you've created. In addition to, um, you know, it's not just your network of colleagues, it's your network of network of subject matter experts. It's all the content from your program that you've learned and, um, you know, everything that you learn in between from sharing stories and resources. So um, quite a lot of return for um, not not too much of your time per week um, for for program participation. So what have you seen as far as the results of participation in this program? How has this impacted the success or the longevity of the rural healthcare leaders who have participated? I know you guys have only been doing it for a couple years, um, so you may not have, you know, some, you clearly don't have any long-term data on it, but, um, you know, what, what type of results have you seen? And even anecdotally, what have you heard from the people who've completed the programs? I love this question because we do have some data, which I love. I love when data is really positive. Too. I knew you would have some data. Yes, of course. Um, so part of our uh, measurement, because we, of course, want to measure growth, um, we'll do pre and post assessments for all of our cohorts in our programs. So these are self-assessments. So it's about how they're perceiving their you know, confidence levels, not only in all of the modules, but also their confidence as a leader in a rural hospital. So we ask them to assess themselves on all of those competencies, as well as their confidence in a pre and post assessment. So it's truly coming from their perception okay. you okay. know, of themselves. Good. Good. Um, and so we've measured growth by cohort and, and cumulatively with all of our cohorts across all of our programs. Um, and so the confidence numbers, all of the numbers have been extremely just wow, I've been stunned by by the growth we see in each individual, as we like to call it, building blocks. So we have uh, leadership, financial operations, and clinical uh, building blocks in each of our three programs. And there's been massive growth in all of those building blocks. But the confidence numbers uh, with our CEOs across all of our cohorts, we've seen a 38% increase in their confidence as a leader. Uh, with our CNO, wow. we've seen a 51% increase in their confidence. Um, and with our CFOs, a 39% increase in their overall um, confidence as a leader in their rural hospital. So, I mean, that in addition to the, the growth percentage growth we see in the building blocks, that's that's quite a recipe for success. We can finally say not a recipe for disaster, mm -hmm. but a recipe for success. Um, so we've seen that the numbers are heartwarming to say the least, but 
um, the anecdotal stories, like you've said, we've heard great uh, feedback from participants. Um, you know, for example, we've had uh, one CEO graduate who found um, like hundreds of thousands of dollars in revenue for their facility based on this one piece of of a of a module hmm. that we were talking about about um, HIPSA, wow. which I think is health professional shortage areas. Yeah. Shortage areas. Yep. Yeah. yeah, they were they were able to realize that they had all of this money that they could get from. Um, and you'll forgive mm-hmm. me for not being well versed in that, but from participating or taking advantage of something with the HIPSA, they were they were able to find all this revenue for years and years and years to come that they got directly from sitting in on one of our sessions. So I mean that's mm-hmm. that's great to hear. We we hear lots of stories also about how culture has changed in an organization. Um, you know how communities become engaged. We've heard about people who have been able to work with their communities to put up baseball fields and um, from baseball fields to cancer screenings, to drive through COVID testing, um, you know, pop-up tents that were, you know, drawing attention from states all around, not just in, in their rural area, but um, those little success stories, uh, they're not so little, you know, like as we know in these rural communities, that impact is amplified far more than, what we often see in an urban setting. So uh, whether it's in, you know, financial gains, cultural gains, community engagement, mm-hmm. we see it all. And um, we see it all across our programs and we hear it from our, our guests on our podcast too, which is um, exactly what we're hoping to see in rural and hoping to keep up. So just a, a little bit about um, our growth and and we've got so much more growth to make. I'm uh, very excited for that and um, looking forward to sharing more numbers with you guys in the future, hopefully. So, you know, uh, Sydney, at some level, several years ago, you had to look at Bill and go, you know, we have to pitch this to the National Rural Health Association uh, for sponsorship or for partnership. Uh, you had to you had to do that. And so um, I guess I want to know what makes this program. I'm sure NRHA gets hit up all the time for sponsor this, do that, you know, authorize this, recognize us. And they're very limited in the amount of programs that they sponsor. So what makes these programs that you offer, the tracks that you offer for executives, a priority in your mind for NRHA? Uh, And I I guess I would imagine the impact is not just as individuals who participate, but the organization and the industry as a whole, right? So could you talk to us about that two-part question? Yeah, absolutely. Um, So kind of like how I hinted at before when I was explaining how the certification programs were a part of our my internship that we we never even thought would be a real real time thing for us. Um, so the origin of this problem, and I think what um, NRHA is also aiming to do is keep our rural hospitals open. If I can be as broad speaking as possible, we want to keep our rural hospitals open. And so to quote Alan Morgan, the CEO of the National Rural Health Association, he's yeah. been quoted many times saying, "Leadership is the single biggest predictor of success for a rural hospital." Um, and so if you couldn't tell. I couldn't agree more. Um, and so that was, you know, the basis of of our our move and NRHA's move into creating and putting on these programs was we wanted to figure out a way to address this high CEO turnover rate in rural hospitals, which we know is far more impactful on the community than in an urban setting per se. But uh, we knew there was a lack of um, qualified candidates. We really don't necessarily have a pool of qualified candidates for whether it's the CEO, the CNO, the CFO role in a rural hospital, we just simply know that it's different. It's not the same as as being in an urban setting. So um, 
that was, I believe, our shared mission between us and NRHA was we wanted to figure out how to keep these rural hospitals open and, and how we were going to do that. And so um, that's how the certification programs began to, to take on their um, light was to address that massive you know, turnover rate. And um, we know that that can inevitably cause other executives to leave. It can certainly put a stop on any initiatives or projects that are going on in the hospital and, um, you know, can unfortunately be a huge factor for closures, which we're trying to avoid that. Um, And so in an effort to keep those hospitals open through leadership, that's what uh, that shared mission is uh, between us is, you know, keeping rural hospitals open by preparing our our leaders to effectively lead rural hospitals and, you know, be successful and, and, and not just survive, but thrive. You know, we want to get past the survival um, stage. So um, that was our way of trying to tip things in, in, you know, the odds in their favor. Um, And I think that kind of speaks to it, you know, as you were saying, the impact on rural healthcare as a whole. Um, I can't say it enough. We want to keep rural hospitals open. We know how incredibly valuable and critical they are to the survival of a community. Um, I think that's something as a as a, a convert, as a rural transplant and convert, <laughs> um, I can say with full certainty that most people in the urban areas have no idea that, you know, a rural hospital closes and then the entire community can crumble, um, you know, if they're the, mm-hmm. the yes. sole, you know, the largest provider of jobs or, I mean, imagine not having a hospital in your community. It's, it's hard, it's hard to Mm -hmm. imagine as a person that's surrounded by hospitals everywhere in, in Tampa, Florida. Um, It's hard to imagine. So um, I can say with all certainty that it's an issue that needs to be brought to light because even just knowing about it makes a difference, um, which I think is part of my job as a person in urban areas is to make everybody around me a rural advocate. I like to say that if you if you make contact with me, I'm going to turn you into a rural advocate one way or another. Um, so I think that's that's part of impacting the industry as a whole. Um, but if we can, you know, provide that strong leadership, we we can, you know, have such such a positive impact on rural health care as a whole, um, you know, not just just the singular people but their communities. And then, you know, we can have an, an entire network of thriving rural communities. So um, I, I, hopefully that, that answers your two pronged question there. It did. Yeah. You know, I firmly believe that our mandate is to tell our story in rural health and it's a remarkable story, a uh, very successful story. Um, it encompasses several areas, as you know, number one, high quality, you know, a lot of individuals want to argue that, you know, uh, if you go to a bigger facility, it's better quality. It's not the case. Lower cost. We often find that. Uh, and then when you have the atmosphere that we do, you look at the economic impact of those rural hospitals on their respective communities. And, you know, for those reasons are why we fight for rural health care. But the biggest reason that we fight is to provide services in the backyard, local and close to home in rural America, where we know transportation is a major concern and a barrier, where we know that individuals to get good health care, to travel 45 minutes is not an option. And so we're fighting for the patients. This isn't just to keep you and me and Rachel, you know, employed and looking at our jobs, but it is the backbone of healthcare. Rural healthcare is, Mm -hmm. you know, we send out very ill, sick patients who need, 
you know, significant care, but we triage them first here and we keep those patients and we administer the TPA for stroke and we're, you know, stabilizing that patient, getting them ready, uh, whether it's here in the ER or if it is in the field or wherever it is uh, on the floor, if they crash. The reality of it is, is that we, I feel we are the gatekeepers of all healthcare, local, local rural healthcare. We're the gatekeepers. And so our story has to be told. And I think that is in part, you know, the partnership that we've had with NRHA. And, you know, I've been a a guest on uh, your program before, Bill's program, and I really enjoyed my time there. But we tell the story. And it's amazing to me the number of people that respond back, I did not know that. Mm. I did not realize that. Mm -hmm. Uh, Just the volume of people that don't understand that I don't have negotiating power with, you know, Blue Cross Blue Shield and that I don't get paid the same rates as this person and and just the challenges of of rural health care. And so I think what is critical is that we tell the story. And I think what you're doing is you're preparing, um, you know, a generation of leaders to be able to tell that story, to give them the framework. And I'm going to encourage you to keep that work up. You know, I know for one of our staff, uh, Megan Campbell, our chief nursing officer, who started her career here and worked up the ranks. And it's a a success story. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's a story of determination and hope and leadership. Uh, And she completed this program at my request. I encouraged her after I received Bill's, uh, I think, 12th email uh, about the certification (laughs) class. Uh, And I said, you know, Megan, uh, time isn't available for me now. I will go through this program, but uh, I want you to go through the program. And uh, she's going to actually update and give a summary to our management council and to our board of trustees uh, about her experience in the certification program, which I think is very important. Um, but, you know, I want to thank you for what you're doing to raise up, to train, to educate uh, this next generation of leaders uh, in some of the most tumultuous times that we've ever experienced in healthcare ever. Uh, in in our history. And it is going to take tenacity, hard work. But the most important thing that I heard you talk about today was the cohort, the collaboration. It's the opportunity to not feel like we're an island because there are days Mm -hmm. I wake up and I I feel that way. There are days I, I go to bed at night going, I'm alone. And, and I know it's not right, but, but I do. And I feel like, man, I'm in the fight alone. And we have to be reminded that there are other leaders throughout this country who are in the exact same, if not worse, condition uh, than myself or other peer hospitals. And so I think one of the things that's so encouraging about your program is the access uh, to peers across the country. And so if you're listening today as a senior executive in healthcare, um, I would encourage you to look at this program as an opportunity for you to build uh, a great opportunity for you to learn, a great opportunity for you to connect. And I think for all of those reasons, you know, it would make this a worthwhile program uh, for an executive. And, and you know, the work that the NRHA is doing, the work that you're doing, Sydney, is so important uh, to the long-term viability of healthcare. Um, we have to tell our story. We have to have a voice. And oftentimes we just get into our little narrow Hillsdale name the community and we try to we just stay there and when they don't hear our story congressional leaders obviously politicians uh, who have ability to change a lot um, they don't know that story exists and we're not telling it Healthcare will begin to look much different into the future unless we do something radical uh, involved with changing payer mix changing how payment structures work and the list goes on and on but in order to do that 
they have to be trained well, and that's what you and your program do. So I want to thank you for joining us again today. It has been an absolute pleasure to have you on um, our podcast, and we hope that you will take the opportunity to come visit Hillsdale. And not only that, but also maybe be a return guest for us here uh, on Rural Health Rising. So thank you so much for joining us today. Well, thank you so much. Um, and and truly, we don't exist without people like you and Rachel and Megan and, and everybody else out there in, in rural hospitals fighting the good fight. So um, we're nothing without you all, truly. You all are, are the reason we're even here to try to make things better. So um, thank you for all that you all are doing too. And before we close, we'd like to do a fun segment with each of our guests. We want to know, now you're not, you know, you're not born in a rural community and you didn't spend all of your childhood in rural, but we want to know what is your most unique rural experience or one of your favorite memories that's unique to rural life? Yes, this is a great question. So you're absolutely right. I, While I am not a rural native and I don't currently live in rural, I will say um, I, I absolutely adore visiting rural areas. That's been the places that my parents and I have vacationed ever since I was a child. So we certainly have had um, a love for rural areas since since the beginning. But um, I hear lots of very interesting stories, whether it's between uh, program participants or podcast guests and things like that. Um, one of my favorite stories that we've heard, um, so not a personal story, but I'll, I'll share it for this person. Um, one of our favorite stories that we heard was uh, from one of our participants and a, a podcast guest, and um, he shared with us how uh, he was literally born and raised in the hospital that he's currently the CEO of. So he was, oh, his wow. mother wow. was the CEO there first. No. Um, he was no. born there, lived in the hospital. They had an apartment in the hospital that they oh, actually what? lived in. No way. Used to ride his uh, little, you know, trike down the hallways in the hospital. And now he <laughs> is the CEO of that hospital. So that's one of my favorite stories. Get that out of here. is cool. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. Pretty, that's a pretty cool story. So um, I love to share that's, that one. Uh, that's that's pretty rural. Talk about being yes. <laughs> rooted and dedicated to your community yeah. and your hospital. Yeah. Yes. That's absolutely. an amazing history. Wow. Yes. Well, so tell that story that wherever you my, go. Uh, I think that has to be my favorite uh, story so far, but I know yeah. the stories are going to grow. So we have lots of opportunities for the next time I'm on here to share some more. That's right. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, once again, thanks for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. Next time on Rural Health Rising, we'll have another great conversation with another great guest, so be sure to tune in. And with that, don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like what you hear, leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and tell others why they should listen too. Your feedback helps more listeners find Rural Health Rising. And you can now find us on Twitter. I'm at Hillsdale CEO JJ. Rachel is at Rural Health Rach. And you can also follow the podcast at Rural Health Pod. Until next time, stay safe, stay healthy, and stay strong. Rural Health Rising is a production of Hillsdale Hospital in Hillsdale, Michigan, and a proud member of the Health Podcast Network, hosted by J.J. Hodshire and Rachel Lott. Audio engineering and original music by Kenji Ulmer. For more episodes, interviews, and more information, visit RuralHealthRising.com. 